If you're one of the people that love this show, make sure you go over to holyfullproductions.com and check out our home. You can read articles. You can see my personal journals straight out of the typewriter. You can see the weekly link roundup of all the interesting things I run across. You can see drawings. You can see books recommended for the book club. Or if you're like me and you like things simple, you can just have it sent right to your inbox by signing up for the newsletter, which goes out almost every day. And of course, you can help support this show through either monthly subscriptions or generous one-time donations. All at hoyfulproductions.com. podcasting world trading you the podcasting world is fun like obviously it is a slow start because i'm building this thing from the ground up you know i'm not relying on the help of like k-rock or anything like that so the only way that i get the word out there is by me sharing about it on my social media and stuff but it's been like so much fun i uh you know, I, I was just like sick and tired of hearing myself talk about it for so long, you know, because I swear I'd like been talking about doing it for like five years. And I was like, I literally can't hear myself say that I'm going to start a podcast again, or I'm going to be sick. So I just finally started, I was like, I'm just going to book someone and just then I have to do it, you know, that's kind of how it started. But it's been just super interesting. And I love just getting to talk to people that inspire me or, you know, that are doing a profession that intrigues me and I want to find out more about how they got from point A to point B. You know, this last episode was really cool because it was something that I hadn't even considered putting on the podcast uh, where I had a guy named Steve Pittman from NAMI, um, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And um, he and I had connected because I interviewed him on a public affairs show that I was contributing to. And we had this like amazing conversation prior to me interviewing him. And he just had some like incredible insight about mental illness. And I just am at a place where I'm like sick and tired of there being so much stigma around it. And I just feel like we need to get these conversations out into the forefront. So that was really cool to talk to him. And then it was fun having like Sam Tripoli on because we talked about conspiracy theories. And uh, I don't think a lot of people know like <laughs> that I like really love uh, getting into the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories, you know, and I've had like, Daniel, the singer from Joy Wave on, and I love that band. And it was super fun getting to sit down and just talk to him and find out like how he ended up, you know, where he is. And I just think it's cool for people to hear the story of how someone got from point A to point B because the question I get asked the most like in my life is like, how did you become a radio DJ? You know, and and the story, like everybody's story is gonna be so completely different, but at the end you just realize just all these little baby steps. And then it kind of, I don't know, I hope to just inspire people to be like, hey, I could do that. You know, I could be a musician or whatever it may be they want to do, you know? Well, there's something to be said about the strength of giving people space to talk, which I, th- I feel like podcasting is, that's, I think that's part of the reason it's so powerful is, you know, it's, I can make this show as long as I want. You know, if you and I talk for 20 minutes and then it's a good conversation and then it's done, then okay, it's 20 minutes. If we talk for two and a half hours, fine. It's two and a half hour episode. And that there's something magic about that, don't you think? Oh, for sure. I think that we live kind of in a society right now where where people aren't really given the space to talk. You know, nobody even really talks on the phone that much anymore. 
it seems like when you're having conversations with others in your life, everybody's very distracted, whether it's because of their being on their phones or having to answer work emails, because we all have to be available by email at all times now <laughs> uh, for work. And, and I think that people are, are hungry for a space to actually divulge who they are, what they're about, what they really think about things, and to be posed deeper questions that scrape below the surface, I think is refreshing. And, and I have found that in a lot of my interviews, a lot of the times I'm just kind of sitting there silent, like taking it in because if someone's on a roll and they're just talking, 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 like I don't want to necessarily interrupt them because I think that like maybe they just need the space right now to, to be able to talk and like, why, why not allow that? That's what the whole point of this thing is, you know? Yeah, that's something I've been discovering recently too. I know this, like some of the best stuff that people come up with, sometimes they need to ramble a little bit into the wrong direction before they land on like the goal of what they're trying to say, mm -hmm. especially when you're recording them, you know, because they don't really feel the time to think it out. So sometimes they have to talk it out. And oh, yeah, you get you get to different places when you allow people to do that. I mean, it's it's got to be a little bit different than. Well, actually, got to be a lot different than your experience with radio because you guys are on, you know, like, okay, we need a commercial break here. We need this. How was that adjustment? Yeah, I mean, it's, it couldn't be more different than radio um, because when I'm on the radio, I'm talking like four times an hour. My intros can be from anywhere from like six seconds to like 50 seconds, like maybe. that That's like the very longest you're ever going to really talk into a song if it has that long of an intro. And in that amount of time, you're saying what the station is, you're talking about whatever giveaway we may be doing that week, you're trying to infuse personality in there, and you're highlighting the music. So you have to be very good at kind of getting your point across and your personality in there in a very short amount of time. You know, and even when you're doing an interview for the radio station with a band or, or whatever it may be, you have like an angle, you know, like, you know, like, okay, I'm going to interview this band because we've got a record coming out in a month. and we want to highlight that. We want to talk about the shows we've been, they've been doing. And, you know, like you, you definitely have, and, and you really only have about seven to 10 minutes to, to fulfill that interview. And um, so you're going in with, you're going in with like an agenda, I guess. Whereas when I'm doing a podcast, I don't necessarily have an agenda. Like I just like to let the conversation kind of go where it's going to go. And that very much happened in the podcast with Sam Tripoli because, you know, normally my structure of the podcast is to hear people's stories from when they were a kid growing up, like how they got in their profession, like blah, blah. I sort of try to guide them in that direction. But this particular podcast, just, we just started going off and I just let it go, you know, and we ended up just the whole time just kind of talking about different conspiracy theories, which was a total blast. For me, and I just let it go because I was like, this is what it's supposed to be. And I'm not going to, you know, try to stop that. So it, the podcasting world just allows you so much more freedom than anything else because it's really just like allowing whatever happens to happen. Like that, like uh, affirmation that you kind of said in the beginning of this interview, you know, it's, it's, it's very much that way. Just like, let us have a good time and, and like, let's just let the conversation go wherever it wants to go. And I just feel like uh, sometimes you don't even know what your podcast may turn into. Like it may start out as this one thing, but 
you know, as it evolves, it might completely transform into something that you really hadn't expected it to be. There's probably somebody in my audience right now laughing really hard at that because this show (laughs) has changed about four or five times format wise. I mean, right now, if you look, I'm recording this at the end of season one, there's only 15 episodes. But I've I've been doing this for two and a half years, so it's changed considerably. Uh-huh. I used to have a co-host. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, it, you have to let things like that happen. It's like life, you know. Sometimes you know you go down different roads, and then hopefully you end up in a better place. I mean, that's kind of a lot of the stuff that you talk about on your show in your own experience. The people listening don't know this, but we've known each other for a very long time, but we haven't seen each other in considerable amount of time. Yeah. And in that time, you've kind of had a a pretty harrowing life journey. I have. <laughs> it's been quite a road. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, um, I, well, so I'm like a drug addict in recovery. I've just been through so much where, uh, you know, when you met me, I was um, working in the Bay Area and a uh, radio station. It was like my first real radio gig um, at Live 105. And, um, you know, I loved it. It was like the, the first thing that I felt like, oh my God, like I love getting to do what I do and I'm really good at it. And it was the first time in my life that I felt like I was actually good at something and I had something going for myself. And, um, you know, I, uh, I hid, I tried to hide the fact that I had a, a drug problem, but you know, it's, I believe that, you know, drug addiction and alcoholism is a disease and that it's a progressive disease and it just gets worse and worse and worse as time goes on had had a lot of problems with drugs from the time I was, you know, in my teens. And so before I moved up to San Francisco, I had like gotten really bad into Coke and I, you know, I, I tried to clean myself up and then I moved to the Bay and then I got the job and I was like distracted and I was like, okay, as long as I just stay away from Coke, I'll be fine or whatever. And, you know, but inevitably it just got worse and worse and worse. And, um, you know, the next thing I knew I was doing heroin and speed and I, um, ended up getting fired from my job because, you know, I was, I was not performing well and I made a really bad mistake and they had kind of no choice, but to let me go. So, um, just at that point I was like, well, just like, fuck it all. You know, I don't care. I'm, I'm going to lose everything. And I did, you know, I lost like my apartment and, you know, I was kind of like upscale homeless where I was like crashing on people's couches and like staying in hotels when I had the money and staying in the car and all that kind of stuff. But even then, like that was not enough for me to want to get sober. That's how crazy of a disease it is. Like I went from, you know, being on market for a radio station and getting to interview all these bands that I had grown up worshiping and, um, you know, getting talk on the radio and to going to being homeless and eventually kind of getting on my feet, working at a winery in Sonoma, which is a great job if you're an alcoholic. I'll tell you that right there. (laughs) um, And then, you know, things just got worse and worse and worse until I finally was like, you know, I I just had to call my mom one day and just be like, I need to come home and uh, clean up, you know. And so and and even even when I moved home, I did go to rehab and I was trying to get sober. And but, you know, I still even relapsed after that. And uh, a really good friend of mine passed away from this disease was an overdose. and that really shook me up a lot. And I just kind of had a realization in January of 2016 that I 
was like going to die or I was going to go to prison or something like something bad was going to happen. Cause I, you know, I was doing really bad stuff and I could just feel it, you know, that my time was coming and I just knew like it was now or never. So I literally spent like new year's Eve, like December of 2015 going into January of 2016. Like I checked myself into, I like basically did like a 5150 on myself and I told the hospital I wanted to kill myself just so they would like put me on a three day hold so that I couldn't go and like pick up. And, um, that was, you know, one of the best decisions I ever made. So spending that time in the mental institution, like for a few days and, and then getting out, luckily I had like met someone that was, uh, in recovery who was more than willing to help me and had linked me up with a sober living house in here in Southern California. And I ended up kind of going straight into there for the next nine months. And that really like laid a solid foundation for me to uh, to like really get recovery, like really um, embrace it. You know, I, I just I did whatever I had to do in order to just be able to pay my rent. Like I was just like working at a vape shop and going to meetings and trying to like get my life together. And when I was like sixty days sober, I received a text from this girl Nicole Alvarez that works uh, on K Rock. And she, she and I had just kind of met throughout the years, like radio is kind of a small pool of people and you just kind of all end up getting to know who each other is. And so she reached out to me and she had told me that she like wanted to go on a maternity or she needed to go on a maternity leave and that K-Rock needed someone to fill in for her. And she thought that I would be a good fit. And I was just like, totally like, oh my God, there's no way, you know, I was like, there's no way because Live 105 parent company is also the parent company of k-rock and i just was like there's no way that they're going to hire me back because i was i left on such bad terms but you know the amazing thing about when you get sober and when you get honest and when you get real and you humble yourself you know i was able to reach out to k-rock and go in and tell them my whole story and tell them like that i had made the biggest mistake of my life and today i'm sober and today i'm doing this this and this to keep my life on track. And they, you know, they gave me a a shot. They like totally went out on a limb and they were like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to give you another chance. And I was only like, seriously, I was only like a little over 60 days sober. So it was absolutely mind blowing to me what was happening. And I just, I just was like, dude, I, I just knew like, I have to do this. Like I have to stay sober and I have to live this life because I'm literally being handed the keys of the kingdom right now. And this is like everything, like my whole life, like, you know, working radio, like I've always wanted to end up at K-Rock and, and it was happening. So it's just been a really wild road and, you know, like a lot of, of pain and torment and, and really bad things happening. But I think that just sometimes you have to go down whatever road that may be that that's kind of crazy to get to where you are. And now I feel like I'm able to kind of spread this message that recovery is possible and that if you really put in the footwork and do do the things that are necessary in order to recover that your life will get better and and you will end up like kind of living the life a life beyond your wildest dreams you know can't imagine what that felt like like just like the universe just smiled down on you at the time when you needed it you know like here you go yeah no that's exact it's exactly what it felt like it it really was cuz i just like i didn't I didn't have a plan. I didn't know like what I was going to do. I didn't ever think I was going to 
ever work in radio again. I thought like my radio days are behind me, you know, it was fun, but you know, I'm, I'm not going back into that. So it was just like a combination of so many things. And you know, I'm so grateful for Nicole reaching out to me. I'm so grateful um, for the music director at the time, Lisa Warden, that, you know, her and I had just happened to know each other also and, and for her to bring me in. And then my music director, Kevin Weatherly, like just um, has been so amazing to me and just given me like so many opportunities. Like, you know, I, like I, I, I went from, you know, filling in at night to now being one of the full-time docs on K-Rock and like, it's such a freaking honor. Like, you know, they, they, they hadn't really brought anybody new in for a long time, like maybe like 15 years or something. And so I feel so grateful and just like I, every day I get to do what I love and um, I get to work with literally the best of the best in the business. And I've learned so much from all of my coworkers. You know, I just, I really do feel like the universe was just like, you know, this is what you're meant to do. And so I really felt like I needed to take it upon myself to not only do the best job that I possibly could working for K-Rock, but also to like sort of give back in some kind of way, which is why like I'm so vocal about my recovery and, you know, I'm pretty blunt about it. And I, I just really feel like somebody kind of needs to be talking about the fact that this is a huge issue right now. Like the opioid epidemic is out of control. And nobody really seems to want to talk about it. So my whole like focal point is just, I want people to know that you can get better and recovery is possible. And like, if you need help there, there are resources out there. I think that's one of the most powerful things about your podcast is how open you are about these things. Because, because of that, like the last episode, you really touched on a lot of that. But I think that if people are, by the way, we're talking about Megan's podcast called Seven Words. Go find that podcast. And I would say, even though you should listen to every episode, you really, really need to listen to number 10, which is when you talk to Mr. Duvall. Uh-huh. Megan just gave us a very brief version of her story. That's a full detailed version. And you really need to go listen to that. What listening to that was particularly strange for me in the sense that it was because I was around during that time. You know, like you going to the winery and working at the winery. These are things I saw filter through social media. Right. You know, I wasn't really aware of what was going on with you. I just knew that somebody said maybe, you know, this was going on or somebody said this, but you know, nobody ever knows. Mm-hmm. I'm just so, so happy that things have worked out for you. Not even worked out for you, but that you're on the next level that you jump to the number one radio station in the world. You're clean, you're sober. You're, it sounds like you're extremely happy. Yeah. You're just operating on a higher plane of existence, I would say. <laughs> no, definitely. Definitely. I I feel like I am a completely different person than I was before. You know, I was always like so tormented and so depressed and anxious all the time. I wanted to isolate myself. I didn't want to leave my room. I just wanted to be high all the time. And I would find any means to do that, whether it meant ripping off someone that I knew and loved or whatever, whatever, however, like I had to get there, like I was willing to do that in order to be high. And so my next podcast, I'm going to have Brandon Novak on. So he, he also is in, in recovery. And, um, like you might remember him from like Jackass and Viva La Bam and CKY and, and all that stuff. And so 
he has this incredible way of, of telling his story, but he was talking about how you're literally like operating in like an animalistic type of way where you're not like even like a human anymore. You're just doing everything and anything that it will take in order to stay high. And like, you, like I pawned all my shit, like things that meant sentimentally meant like a lot to me. I would easily just go and like pawn them and I didn't care, you know, um, for like, fucking 40 bucks, you know, just like you get high. Um, so, you know, going from living that kind of life to really, like you said, being kind of like rocketed into this like fourth dimension of, uh, existence where, you know, I, I get to, to be of service to other women where I, I get to help them in their recovery. And, um, just to, to be someone who other people can rely on, like not just within the sober community, but also like I get to be like a good daughter to my parents. I get to be a good sister to my brothers and I get to be a good friend to my friends. And, you know, I just, I live my life in a completely different way with a completely different outlook and, you know, just realizing that perspective is everything and that I can't control people, places and things. Like all I can control is me and all I can control is the way that I respond to things. And so really like, I just, I found that I just don't have drama in my life anymore and that I am living in the solution instead of living in the problem. And I used to be very like, dreary, like about the world. I was always like wrapped up in the problems of the world. And now I just realized, you know, if I can do anything, it's, it's, it's what can I control in my life and what can I put out into the world that's positive for other people? Um, you know, and, and what can I do within my community to, to try to make it a better uh, place, you know, because you've got to start small. You can't worry about the world when you're not doing anything within your own community to help. So, you know, I've just kind of picked up a lot of, of wisdom from these amazing people within the sober community and my sponsor. And, you know, I just, I have like a lot of really great people around me and I really do have to keep my recovery as my number one priority. It's, it's the first thing. It's above my career. It's above my family. It's above every, my friends and everything. Like, if I don't keep my recovery number one, I will lose everything. And and I know that to be true because I've I've lived it. You know, I had been in and out of like being sober, like you know, throughout my twenties, and I I just never took it seriously and. So this time has just been a completely different experience. I jumped in with both feet. Um, I was willing to do everything and anything that I was told to do in order to uh, stay sober. And it's been the the biggest blessing in my life. And I really do feel like a, a transformed person, you know? What little small things are you doing for yourself, not only to uh, maintain your recovery, but also to stay in the positive mindset and not get sucked into that uh, drama, you know, all the negativity that we can get wrapped up into when reading the news too much or all these things. What little things are you doing every day to keep yourself kind of regulated? Well, um, for me, I, I really do believe um, in the power of prayer. You know, like I'm, I'm not a religious person, but I am a spiritual person. I do believe in God like the universe. Um, I believe that there's a reason why we're all here and that we're here on this earth plane to learn and to grow and to become more enlightened as, as souls. So I definitely believe in, in prayer and meditation. I definitely pray every day. I probably meditate like once a week, if I'm being honest, I wish I would do that more, but, um, it's hard, you know? <laughs> um, 
I don't know. I, I go to meetings and, and that helps me stay centered and connected to um, my community. And um, I try to be of service within those meetings. And uh, I think just, you know, exercise has been a big help for me in my life just because my anxiety is, you know, can get pretty bad sometimes, but exercise really helps a lot. And just like eating well and treating my body like as, as good as I can. So I think it's just for me, it's about living a balanced life. And, um, and kind of just being an acceptance of whatever circumstances are in front of me and also not being attached to the outcome of things. You know, I think sometimes we get caught up in, um, the idea of what we think something should be, or we have an expectation of what something's going to be. And that's just a really dangerous way to live because you're setting yourself up to be let down because you're not in control of that. So. If you're sort of just always in the state of of acceptance and just being in the moment and then seeing what happens and then continuing to accept it, then you're kind of always like in this low state where you're just in it and you're being present. Um, Because when we get into, you know, these expectations of things or people, you're going to be let down every single time. And so I think that I've just learned like the only thing that I have control over is me and and my reactions to things. And therefore, you know, I, I don't give the power away to other entities. You know, I, I know what I'm getting into, you know, and I know that I just have to allow things to happen as they happen and to accept them and then navigate around that, I guess. Do you find it's transformed everything in, in the way that you relate to other people? Just the way that you look at other people, the way that you talk to them has changed? Yeah, it definitely has changed. I think that I went from being a victim all the time because that's that's the mentality that you have when you're a drug addict and an alcoholic is that everything is everybody else's fault and that, you know, you're the one who's been wronged in this life and that your parents weren't, you know, weren't good enough and they made these mistakes and blah 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 and so I went from being that type of a person to now being a person who takes responsibility for their life and who owns up to the mistakes that I've made in the past, uh, makes amends to those that I owe amends to. And every day just try to like take stock of like, okay, like did I do anything today that I need to apologize for? And just being in a state of like focusing on myself and my actions and my behaviors instead of on other people's. And, um, my relationships with my family, like, is completely transformed. Like, I have such great relationships with my mom and dad and my two brothers and, like, my friendships are so much more enriched now. And they're, and they're honest, you know? Like, I mean, one of my best friends literally caught me, like, one time, uh, smoking heroin in her car. Like, I, I was like, oh, I gotta go out to your car or something. And she like came out a few minutes later and she caught me doing that, you know, and that like horrible thing for to put on another human being. And like, what is she supposed to do with that? You know, what is she supposed to do? And so now like to, to have this relationship with her where it's honest, it's true. You know, I was able to like, you know, tell her that I was sorry for, for putting her through stuff like that, you know, and now it's just like I, I I don't I don't have to hide anything anymore. Everything's out in the open and you know, I just I take responsibility for 
for my life and, and where it's at and the things that are happening around that. And it's really just, just made everything so much easier because, you know, cause now I'm in control and I, like, not really, but you know, like I'm in control of me and, um, I just try to do my best to, to be the best person that I can be. Obviously, you know, not a perfect person by any means, but I just, I, I do my best, you know? What was that amends process? Like having to go to people and say, I'm so sorry. I did this. It was definitely the most transformative time of my recovery. The most, uh, the most, yeah, transformative, I would say, and enlightening. It was, it was incredible that like the, I mean, the most powerful ones were the ones with my family, you know, to be able to acknowledge to my parents, like, you know, that I was so sorry about all the pain and suffering that I put them through and the money that I had taken from them and just the countless things that I had done that, that hurt them over and over and over. And, and to, you know, ask them like, what can I do to, to make it right now? You know? And, um, really their, you know, their, their response is really just like, we just want you to stay sober and, and keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, I've had these like moments where I'm, you know, helping my mom make dinner and she'll look over at me and she'll be like, you know, I've been waiting my whole life and your whole life just have this moment with you where we're just making dinner together. When you're a drug addict and an alcoholic, you take those experiences away from your loved ones. You starve them from having those simple experiences where it's just making dinner with your mom, you know, because you don't care. You don't want to do that kind of shit. The only thing you want to do is go and get loaded. You know, it's impossible to have like a real true relationship with another human being when you're a drug addict and, and you're in the disease. My dad is so proud of me. I mean, like both of them just tell me all the time now, like, Oh, we're so proud of you. Like my dad is like incessantly listening to K rock all the time. It's like, so it's just, it's so funny. It's like, you know, but I, I feel so like incredibly blessed. It's very, very, very powerful dude to do the amends. Like granted. Yeah. Like it's scary. You know, you, you got to build up some, some courage to to sit down and you got to know that you're, you're going to dive into like an emotional conversation. But I think it was for me, one of the, the most impactful times uh, within my recovery, you know, and I also made amends to one of my old coworkers from Live 105. And that was like a really, a really amazing moment too. Um, you know, because I, I, I sabotaged so much because I was, I was in my disease. You know, we hadn't talked in years, but I just, I was like, I got to do this. So I just, I was just brave and I just did it, you know, and now we're cool. And, and I, you know, I, I hope that it, it meant something to him and I hope that he really does know how incredibly sorry I am about it all. And, you know, you just have, like, you never know what the outcome of your men's process may be. Like the person could very well just be like, oh, fuck you. Like, you know, you're, you you know, you're an asshole. Like you've said this before, like blah, blah, blah. And you just have to accept that, but you just got to know like, well, at least, you know, I did what I was supposed to do and that was to apologize to this person and ask them how I can make it better. So, um, I think it's the most transformative uh, time in anybody's recovery, really. So when you're, when you're starting these amends, I, I imagine you're in a pretty, still a pretty fragile state. you like, you said that they could go wrong. How do you gird yourself up? How do you get yourself ready for that emotionally? So, um, so when you're doing the steps, like there's not like a, a timeline or anything like that, you know, you, you do them as 
you work them through with your sponsor, you know? So I think I was about like a year and a half sober when I started my men's process. You know, really what you do is you, you work with your sponsor, you talk it out, figure out what you're going to say and how you're going to approach it. And you just have to know going in that it, it may not go well. And, and really there's, there's not a ton that you can do to prepare for it. You know, like you just you kind of pray and you ask God to sort of be with you and guide you and hope that it goes well. But I, if I'm being honest, I've never had a bad amends, not yet, but I do know people who have like on their, their first, you know, like one of my sponsees, like her, her first amends was not a positive experience. And, you know, and it was hard for her, but you just, you just have to kind of let it go and you just know like you were coming from a good place and you know, you, you did what you were supposed to do and you just kind of have to move on, move past it and, and just hope that the next one's going to go well. And then her next one did go well. So, you know, you just have to be a strong person. You just have to know like, well, you know, I was, you know, I was a shitty person in the past and, and sometimes this is the consequences of, of, uh, you know, your actions, like not everything's always going to be perfect, but you just never know, like a couple years down the road, like this person might be like, Hey, you know what? I'm over it now. And let's, let's move forward in our relationship and I've let it go. You gotta, we have to allow other people the time that they need to heal just because we're ready to say we're sorry. Doesn't mean that the other person has to be ready to accept it. You know, that's a really powerful point. I think oftentimes we, we try to do things on our own clock and that's still going back to that selfishness. We're still in a self-centered place. Yep. You mentioned the word sponsee, so that means that you're a sponsor now. Yeah. So if you if you've completed all twelve steps, um, you can take another person through the steps. So yeah, it's 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 been an amazing experience. Um, like between like I think for me the most powerful times in my recovery have been the amends process and then um, sponsoring other women and and taking them through the steps and um, being there for them and it's been incredible, you know, like it's, it's of course scary because you don't really fully know what you're doing at first. You're getting guidance from your sponsor on how to do things. And then, but then you just do it and you, you just, you figure it out. And, you know, I, a lot of sponsors come and go. I mean, I've probably had 30 to 40 sponsors come and go because this disease is so powerful that, you know, it, it takes people out all the time. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy, but my very first sponsee is still with me and she, she recently just got a year and uh, she actually lives on the East coast. She was here in California, like living here when we met, but she had to move back to New York and we're still, I'm still sponsoring her. Like we did one of her steps through Skyping and uh, you know, we just keep in touch and, and she just got her first sponsee recently. And so it's been an incredible experience, you know, getting to watch someone really learn and grow and, and work on themselves and completely transform through, through their recovery. So it's, it's the greatest gift I think of, of being uh, in recovery. Cause what it does is like, it allows you to not think about like Cause okay. Like as a drug addict and alcoholic, you're wired to be self-centered. So when you're helping another alcoholic, you are taking, you're taken out of yourself. You don't have to think about yourself for like five to 10 minutes when you're on the phone with them. You know, you, you get to think about other people or, when I'm driving around, I'm like, oh, oh, I wonder how she's doing, and you know, oh, I'll call her, or like whatever. And so it allows you to be there for someone else and not think about yourself, um, which is which is awesome. <laughs> I think that for me, that's been 
one of the most transformative experiences as well as just this realization of like, holy God, you know, all I'm thinking about is myself. And you know, I have like a checklist every day. And one of the things on my checklist every day is, hey, dude, did you do anything for anybody else today? Because mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, it's so easy, regardless of whether you're in recovery or you're not in recovery. You know, the average person, just as a human being, regardless of what they're going through, we're kind of built to be selfish in some ways. And we have to snap ourselves out of that. Oh, yeah. It's a journey, just like the journey that you've been on to become a better human. That's what I'm trying to do with this show is learn how to be a better human being every day. I love that. I feel like in a way, our podcasts are kind of like brother-sister podcasts. Because when I listen to your episodes, I'm like, we're kind of trying to do the same thing here. Yeah. It's interesting. We The different roads we went through to get to the same place. I know, right? <laughs> well, yeah, just like there's just so much, there's so much bullshit in the world. And, you know, it's just like, I don't want to be another person that's like feeding the problem. I want to be someone who is putting out a solution and truth, even if it's a dark truth, even if it hurts, even if it's uncomfortable to think about, you know, I don't care. Like, I I think that we need to be confronted with some of the harsh realities in the world and to talk about these things in order to kind of and get a better understanding and to heal and grow from them and for us to feel more connected with one another. Because I think if, if someone's talking about it in a general way, like, Hey, you know, mental illness is on the rise. Like one in five people are affected. Then maybe like someone listening may be like, Oh my gosh, I don't feel so alone. Like, cause my mom is bipolar and I don't really know how to deal with her. Or like whatever it may be. I think that like kind of going back to that self, like we're a selfish society. And I, I agree with that. Like, Not only are we a selfish society, we're a narcissistic society, like selfies and Instagram and how many likes did I get? Those things make people feel better or worse about themselves. Like if they get a thousand likes on a photo or whatever, that's not, that can't be a good way, you know, of living. I think that we really are, I don't know, I just feel like even when you're out there driving on the roads and, you know, you, you just see how people operate sometimes, like, it just seems like they really don't care if they kill another person just by the way that they're driving. And that scares me a little bit. And I, and I really do feel like, you know, we need to start thinking more about other people. And I think that if more people worked in service and volunteered their time, you know, on a Saturday or Sunday and, and did something to help other people, and, or, you know, give up their, their Thanksgiving to serve food or whatever it may be. I think that they would feel exponentially better about themselves because there's something magical that happens when you're being of service to another human being. And it's like an enriching spiritual experience. And, you know, not to do it to be like, oh, I look, you know, I look like a good person, but like to really, really do it with your full heart and, and to find the value and, and just like being there to help another human. There's just something magical that happens there, you know? That selfishness is kind of built into us, but that is too. That reward system for that we're built to make community and that we feed off of that. And it's, it's such a different energy. You know, when you just even the simple act of listening to someone when they're talking. Yeah. Just that simple thing, the way that you walk out of conversations is different. Do you, do you feel like your listening skills have gotten better through this whole process as well? Yeah, most definitely. They have definitely gotten better. I actually 
I like when I was first doing the podcast, I was doing a little bit more prep than I do now. Like now I really, I kind of go in sort of blind. Like I don't really go in knowing, (laughs) you know what I mean? I just kind of go in and I'm just like, it's just a conversation and anything that I need to know, I can ask and they'll tell me. So I, I found that going in that way, just, I have no, I have no other choice than to just be in the moment, you know, and that's been a really good thing for me. And yes, I definitely feel like my listening skills have, have improved a lot. And I really, I, I really do feel like I'm not sitting there just waiting to respond. I'm just like, allowing the conversation to flow. And then when it's the appropriate time to jump in, then I do. And that's why sometimes you'll hear like these people just kind of go talk, 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 talk. And I don't interject because sometimes I'll be listening to other people's podcasts and like, they'll kind of jump in and the person was telling a story and then this person, and then they jump in and they interrupt them and then they go off on another tangent. And then that story never gets finished. And I wanted to know what this, what that story was, you know what I mean? So. I think that if you're a really good interviewer and you do interject, like just guide them back to that story, you know, but sometimes people forget, they just go off on these tangents and then things never get like, I don't know, there's like loose ends, I guess. So I just really kind of allow people to talk. And then when it's my time to to chime in, I do. But yeah, I, I really do feel like I'm just like trying to give them a platform, you know, here's a platform just on which to, to speak and, say what you know you want to say and put your message out into the world. But yeah, it's definitely made me more of an active listener and and I and I do have to catch myself like while I'm in the you know in the interviewing process like where my mind will be thinking of things to say or wandering off and I have to be like no dude like stay in the moment listen, you know? And it's it is it is a practice. It is. It's like a form of meditation in a way. You know, you in meditation they tell you bring yourself back to the breath. Mhm. And when you're listening, it's bring yourself back to the person. Yeah. I'm doing it right now is my mind wants to wander too, because that's the way human brains work. And I'm like, listen to what Megan's saying. And I think that that part of that going in blind, which I do as well, I think that forces that. Yeah. You know, when you go in with these car, with these pages of questions, and I think maybe that's what's happening in a lot of those podcasts are like, well, I got to get to all of my questions. I was like, no, you don't. You know, just. Stick with the question you have now. Yep. I mean, some of the best stuff that I've had so far came out of people wandering. They're off on a topic. And the next thing I know, we're talking about the cancer that their child had. And now we're talking about something real. And I, I feel like this has, in a way, transformed my ability to communicate in real life as well. Mm-hmm. Two questions stacked on top of each other. Do you think that this ability to listen has improved your job not only as a podcaster but as a as a radio personality and also as a human being in real life how has it affected you as a person in real life well i think that it's definitely improved my interviewing skills across the board i feel 1000 times more comfortable now when i'm doing band interviews because i have gotten into this place where i just allow things to happen as they happen. So I'll go in now into a band interview with the knowledge and the facts, but I really don't try to go in with questions anymore. I just am like, we're just having a conversation. And ever since I started going in with that kind of an attitude, my interviews have definitely improved in my opinion. And then uh, as far as like, 
yeah, being, being like a, a more like in tune person and like who's, who's like more of an active listener in my conversations. Like, yes, it's definitely, it definitely helps in that too, but I still have to catch myself in my conversations with other people from being distracted because I am a neurotic person. And if I have something else that's on my mind, that's bothering me, you can tell that I'm distracted. So I have to like really bring myself back and be like, dude, you know, be in the moment, be in the moment or like put my phone away, you know, because part of me feels like, you know, it's part of my brand and my job to be posting on social media and to be making Instagram stories and like to always be making content. Like there's this added pressure that I feel on myself every single day to be providing content online. So I feel like sometimes when I'm, you know, with other people and I'm on my phone and I'm doing social media stuff, I feel like that takes away our time together. And I'm trying to be a bit more balanced with all that stuff and to just kind of like, I just need to like not worry about that stuff. Like uh, even though it's, it's like, it's so, the problem is, is it's so important now to companies and jobs, like for you, like how many followers do you have? And, da, 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 da. and like, I'm like, you know what? No, like I would rather experience this moment at Disneyland with my friends than for for it to be like one big show on the internet, you know? Like I would rather be, if I'm at a concert, I would like, honestly, I would so much rather just put my phone away and just experience a concert than anything else. Like maybe I'll post like one or two Instagram stories if I'm at a concert. But other than that, my phone's in my pocket and I'm in the moment like experiencing it. So it, it's a practice for sure. Like in, in my everyday life of just like, like just being there for other people and listening. But I would say like when it really comes down to the real shit, like, you know, friend calls and they're going through something like I'm a very good listener and, and I'm, I do like my best to to be there for others. You know, it really is a balancing act to, I mean, especially for you because of the radio, you know, like even for me in the small sense with the podcast, I'm not crazy about posting stuff all the time, but then I also feel that pressure. I'm like, well, I haven't posted anything for like four days. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, dude. And then I like, I just sometimes feel like I don't even know what to post. Like I, I'm just like, and like hashtags, I'm like, I don't fucking know, <laughs> you know, like I'm just, it's like, it drives me nuts. Like I, I just feel like there's some people who are so good at it. And I'm like, I sometimes I would just feel like I would rather just pay somebody to fucking post shit for me because I don't want to do it. <laughs> But, you know, like, but every, but everybody always tells me, they're always like, oh my God, your Instagram stories make me laugh really hard. I'm like, really? Because <laughs> I just think everything I do is like shit, you know, but, um, but that, so I'm just like, oh, whatever, you know, it, it's, it's all going to happen as it's supposed to happen. And like, I just have to, it's just, you know, it's just like anything else. I just have to trust it. Like, it's all going to be fine. Like if I'm meant to have followers online, then I'll get them, you know, I'll get them. But I I think that it is balanced. It is balanced, and it's like it's like creating your own etiquette for for the phone. Like we, you know, like I, I really feel like I try really hard. Like if I'm having a meal with someone, to not be on my phone, and if I need to be on my phone, if it's like a work email or something, like I'll just be like, hey, look, I'm gonna be on my phone for the next few minutes. I'm gonna send an email and then I'm back, you know. And just like having the etiquette and the respect for another person to express that because there's nothing worse when you're like in the middle of a conversation with someone and it's a good conversation. And then all of a sudden 
you ask them something and then they're on their phone and they're texting and they're giving you like a bullshit answer and you're just I'm just like I'd rather you just not even answer me because what's coming out of your mouth is like bullshit. So just say, hey, I need a minute or whatever. And I don't know. It's just um, the world of of uh, technology and cell phones drives me a little bit crazy. But it's probably it's also just because like I'm a part of the problem. You know, <laughs> we all are in some way, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. The worst thing I noticed is I have one of the Apple Watches and I'll get a notification on my wrist. So I'll look at it real quick and people think I'm looking at the time, which is like the biggest insult to do to somebody. I'm like, hold on, <laughs> let me look at the time. <laughs> you, you have a more sneaky it's approach. It's so bad. So now, now I have to like turn on do not disturb every time I talk to someone. Like, hold on, I don't want you to think I'm checking the time. <laughs> yeah, totally. But it's like, it's really like we all have to create our own etiquette when it comes to the phone because it's, you know, we're the ones having to kind of like navigate the waters right you know we're like the first generation to like pretty much well we, you know we got the cell phones when we were in like our mid-teens you know like i think i was like 15 when cell phones started to become an actual thing i'm an old man so i was already an adult which is even worse <laughs> oh, okay yeah see that must have been weird you know all of a sudden you got a computer in your pocket at all times how old are you 40 you're 40 oh, okay you're not that old no, though i'm not, I'm not aging. <laughs> you're in your prime, you're in your prime. Um, i hope so because i'm just i feel like i'm just learning how to be alive i know what you mean dude i'm learning how to be a human like for sure i i feel like i never learned how to do anything i never learned how to like deal with anything deal with feelings um i never learned how to be in a relationship with another person like i i recently went out on a date and I like can't tell you how like awkward of a person I am like and the thing was like it was fun and we had like a good time besides the fact that like when I was like literally walking up to this guy and he has like he had like a flower in his hand for me and I'm walking up to him and I slipped and almost (laughs) ate shit so it was that lovely movie charming moment (laughs) that but it was so embarrassing it was so embarrassing and then like though so then the whole night and like now even now I'm like looking like I just keep thinking about what a fucking idiot I am, you know, like that I, that I like have to be that person that just makes an asshole of themselves. But, you know, I never learned how to like go out on a date and, and be like a classy person, but I'm doing it now. You know, I'm, I'm walking through the fears of like being vulnerable and being uncomfortable, you know, not knowing what's going to happen next and just having to be like, well, you know what, let me, let me just look at it as one experience that happened that was fun and positive and where it goes from there. Not, you know, not for me to worry about, but I'm neurotic as fuck. So I worry about that shit, you know? And so it's just like, everything is just like a a balancing act. Now it's me constantly like giving myself little pep talks and getting myself through, uh, (laughs) through life kind of, you know, by being like, dude, you don't need to worry about that. It's going to be fine. Just, you know, one foot in front of the other, do all the things you're supposed to do in your life and it'll all work out, you know? There's so much power to that, learning to kind of laugh at yourself. You know, like for me, going back to the Instagram thing too, you know, I put up a picture I like and I get six likes. That will make me laugh so hard now because I'm like, well, I love that picture, but apparently nobody else does. (laughs) 
Yep. Or tripping. Oh, yeah. You know, you're like, you have to laugh at yourself because that's where the vulnerability is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm a firm believer in not taking yourself too seriously. I am I am a firm believer in that, you know? And uh, and it's so funny. Like, I totally agree with you. Like, with, like, the stuff that, like, I'll post that I'm like, oh, my God, this is such an awesome photo. Or, like, I love this group shot of me with other people. And, like, it will get, like, half likes that just a selfie of me will get, you know? Like, I'm disgusted. Like, you know how they did the, the generator thing of, like, your top photos of 2017 or whatever? So I did it, and every single one was a selfie. <laughs> and I was like, this is so shitty. I was like, I've been to Vietnam and Cambodia and, like, done gone to so many concerts and posted so many other photos of awesome things. And the top-liked photos are just all selfies of me. And I was, like, so bummed out about that. but. You know, that's, it's just a weird world that we live in, you know, or like people, I don't know. It's almost like people, like you get put into a box. It's like, if you're a photography Instagram, then they'll go and they'll look at it and they'll get a shitload of likes on photos of things. But if you are a person that works in the media, all they want are like selfies from you. Or like, if you're a musician and you post a photo of an amp, like you'll, you'll get likes on that photo. Because you're a musician and, you know, so I think that people just, everything is so like separated and, you know, that, and that's, that's, that also makes me think about music because, you know, working in alternative radio music is such a trip because there's no definition for it. Right. But people have this idea in their mind because the genre evolved out of like the nineties grunge movement, but that doesn't exist anymore. And everything is pop now, honestly, like, honestly, like it's, it's like everything is pop. Like any, anything that actually has like guitars and is heavy, people don't really like it as much. So it's just like, everything is in this weird state of, of like, where people have this idea that like, that's too poppy for alternative, but yet the only stuff that sells and does well is the poppy stuff. So it's very confusing. It's the power of all these decades of marketing, you know, they have all these numbers and they're determining everything by numbers now. That's, I mean, going back, back Mm -hmm. to your podcast in in the last episode, in the intro, you were talking about the Clapton documentary, which I haven't seen, Yes, but I know the story of that Derek and the Dominoes album really well. Mm -hmm. And I mean, think about back then, like you think Eric Clapton had any idea what that album was going to be. No. I mean, he didn't even tell people that he no. was Derek and the Dominoes. So the album didn't even sell I well. I know. I know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And there's something extraordinary. I know. That's what's so crazy. Well, and and the thing, the problem that's happening today is like, okay, so when Eric Clapton wants to record that, you know, he, like, he, you know, took him like a couple of years, I'm sure, to, or like a year or something to, to really like go away, record that, go through his writer's block moment, meet Dwayne Allman you know, record the rest of the album, like put it out. And nowadays it's like bands don't do that. Like I was talking to like my mom about that, where, you know, they would, bands would go away and, and they'd rent out a house and they'd be together and they'd record this amazing album and then, you know, come out like, you know, and it'd take a couple years or whatever. But now like the turnover of things have to be like that. And, and people forget about you. Like if you're not constantly in their vision, they'll just forget you exist. And if you put out an album like that doesn't even doesn't have a single on it, like forget it. You're you know, you're done in a way. And so it's a very like 
It's just a, a really, um, for me, a little bit of a depressing time in music. I'm really hoping that some kind of revolution happens. I really feel like back in the 60s and 70s, the music that was coming out then was like, you know, Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and um, bands that I feel like challenged your thinking because it was so out there, like specifically like Pink Floyd. It's like that kind of music is so like it, you know, you have to like go on the journey with it, but there's no music like that anymore because, because people won't go along the journey with it. Oh, it's like, Oh, it's too out there. They don't have the patience for it. If it doesn't have like a hook, like every 10 seconds, forget it, you know? So I feel like we're in a a state where people are like, seriously, like they've been programmed to this repetitive music that has the same beat and the same drums and the same, you know, so where anything different than that, they don't even want it. They don't, cause they're not used to it. You know? That's why I've kind of been a little bit excited about some of the stuff that Apple's been doing as that, uh, the beats one by getting like more famous people to come in and have a radio show because they play random songs you would never hear. You know, like if you're listening to Elton John's show or you're listening to, um, yeah, rock what's rock. his name? Uh, I just totally blanked on the drummer from Metallica's name. Oh yeah. Lars. Uh, yeah. Lars. Um, you're listening to their shows. They're playing deep cuts from maybe even artists you've never heard. And I'm hoping that that will grow to a point where that becomes a viable form of radio. You know, like taking the idea of college radio and making that, you know, maybe it's not all radio stations, but some stations are able to dip through the decades and play deep cuts and play weird long songs. Yeah. Oh, totally. Well, that's like why I always like, um, I love listening to like Sirius XM like what is it like little Stevie's garage or something little Steven's garage underground garage. And he, and that's where like, you know, Tom Petty's very treasure would be on. And, um, you know, I would discover like so much music, like from spanning from all times that, you know, I had never heard before. And, but I think it has to be a specific type of music listener to really, truly appreciate those songs and that music and, and have the peace to listen to it. I feel like people who listen to terrestrial radio might be a different breed of music listener now, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't think that people, I think people used to go to terrestrial radio to discover music, but that's not the case anymore because everybody's playing it safe. Now everybody just plays what's already a hit. Right. So, you know, so that the numbers don't go down because what ends up happening is like, you know, K rock, like we will try to like branch out, you know, and play more underground stuff that people haven't heard of. It was like when we like added like the war on drugs and like Manchester orchestra and we, you know, we added all this new music, like, I don't know, six to eight months ago. And, um, the numbers went down because people don't fucking have the patience for it. They just want to hear imagine dragons and 21 pilots on repeat because that's what the numbers show. So that's why everybody goes like, why do you guys play the same songs over and over again? Because if we don't do that, then our ratings go down. So, you know, it's this like crazy dichotomy of like, we're trying to like play new music and put it in there, but like you have to do it so strategically and slowly. And it takes people so long to like, actually like accept a new song into the playlist and like it, you know? So it's, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's definitely interesting. Like 
working in this business. And I'm, I'm really happy that I don't work in programming and I don't have to be in charge of the music because I would just go insane. I, you know, I just simply get to go on, hopefully make people laugh and serve the music to them, whether I like it or not. And, you know, just be like a positive uh, person that gets them through the day. You know, that's kind of how I look at what I do, you know, an usher almost. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Or I like to think of myself as like a conduit where I don't even know what, you know, is going to come out of my mouth or what I'm going to do or say. And, you know, I go into every show and I just go with it. You know, I don't know if I'm going to play a phone call. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I just hope that whatever it is that I do, that I spread joy and that people have a positive, fun experience when they're listening to me on the radio. That's all, literally all I want, you know? Well, as I mentioned earlier, the whole point of this show is for me to try to learn to be a better person and to try to maybe in some way help people listening, just like what you said. In that quest, what book do you think I should read next? I've been reading a lot of like biographies and stuff like that. Um, honestly, I don't even think I can I can think of one. I've been wanting to reread like 1984 mm. because it's been a long time since I've reread that one. Um, there was a really good one. I'm literally looking at my book, my bookshelf right now because <laughs> there was a re- oh okay this really good book I read um called Fifteen Dogs by Andre Alexis. And it's just like a really, it's a, it's a story kind of like from the perspective of this pack of dogs. And it's, I like really loved it. I read it when I was um, on my trip in Vietnam and I thought it was like a really great book. Have you read much of like Paulo Coelho's books? I read The Alchemist, which was, I, I really enjoyed that. I need to read the other ones, like The Giver. That was him, right? Yeah, I really like him a lot too. Well, would you like to tell everyone who you are? And after we had that whole conversation about social media, plug all of the things that you would like to plug. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, let's do that. So, yeah, I'm uh, Megan Holiday. You can hear me. Uh, oh, the one thing I didn't get to kind of circle back and talk about really quickly was that I am now back on the radio in San Francisco at the station who let me go all those years ago. So it's pretty incredible. I, I do the show from from LA, but um, it was such an incredible honor to be able to to go back to that station, you know, and um, you know, and I was able to make my amends to my old boss. So that was just kind of like one of those like full circle moments. So you can hear me if you're in the Bay Area. You can hear me on Alt 1053 Radio, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then if you're in LA, you can hear me on K Rock from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. And my podcast is called the Seven Words Podcast with the number seven. I'm like on all the uh, podcasting platforms. And if you want to find me on social media, everything is at Megan Holiday. So yeah, there's all there's my whole thing. You know, one of the best ways to support a podcast is to go over to the podcast app that you're using, especially if it is Apple Podcasts, and take five minutes to sit down and rate and review the show. Just give it a star rating, give it a paragraph letting people know what value you get out of the show. Because that's how we communicate to the world what this show is about if they haven't listened to it before. And it's also how we communicate to guests or possible guests what the show 
that is inviting them on is about and what people think of it. So please take the time to rate and review us. Thanks.